Welcome to the Ground Control Podcast, career stories of industry insiders in travel, transportation, and hospitality, presented by World Travel Market, Mozio, and GroundControlHQ.com, and hosted by David Litwack. I'm David Litwack, the founder and executive chairman of Mozio and the founder of Ground Control, a community investment syndicate for travel industry insiders. And today we're joined by Adnan Kazim, the chief commercial officer of Emirates Airlines. Thanks for joining us, Adnan. Thank you. Thank you. So we like to start off all these interviews the same way, which is for us to ask you how you became an industry insider. Well, I mean, uh, I, I joined the company back in 92, and it was like an, a journey that I took uh, from since then. Uh, I started with a management training program, which was around three years. Uh, and part of this program is mainly preparing people or, or preparing management for uh, taking role in area manager and outside station. Um, so I, I went through everything, like uh, all the touch points I think that somebody needs to learn to be prepared for a job of area manager, including um, the cargo, the passenger, the airport operation, uh, the, the revenue optimization, all the touch points within the department, planning, uh, uh, the core commercial analysis of how you do the numbering, and, uh, and, and then I was posted after three years uh, into outside station. I took many roles, uh, roles in uh, outside station uh, as an area manager. I started with Greece, then went to Yemen, then to South, uh, to East Africa and Kenya, uh, to Egypt, uh, then moved to Switzerland. Uh, then I worked back into Pakistan as VP for Emirates, uh, looking at Pakistan operation. Then was back to Dubai as an in charge of the, the Africa as a region. Then Middle East region. They are all within the commercial. Uh, entities. Uh, I mean, this kind of, I mean, move that, that I went through, it gave me a different flavor of different markets. Um, what you learn and, for example, in Greece, the culture that you work with, uh, and, and kind of a way of dealing uh, is completely different than, for example, Yemen. Uh, and, and you need to adopt to these kind of different changes, I think, that, uh, that you go through through the journey. Uh, and this would come in through the mindset, through the flexibility and being adaptable. Uh, to, to people's uh, requirements uh, without being imposing your own way. Uh, you need to be part of that way, I think, that, uh, that you work in. Uh, uh, then after finishing in Dubai back in 2007-8, uh, I took the role of the, the planning uh, uh, and strategy for, for the company. Then that, that profile even added further more and adding the, the international and the political affairs. Uh, then revenue optimization was added to my profile back in 2011. Then gradually that um, that moved to the entire operation of Emirates in terms of uh, A to Z of Emirates operation, including the Sky Cargo, uh, the operator that operation that we have, and including the 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 FFP program, the Skyworks, and um, the core commercial uh, businesses as well, and the global sale and all the commercial like uh, entities and and that was back in 2018 when I took that role. So it, it, it was quite an, an amazing journey with a lot of ups and down and getting through different uh, requirements and needs. Uh, for example, I mean again for me the core thing was about dealing with people and dealing with various cultures. I think which was uh, quite an, a good learning and that that gives you uh, the kind of I mean. Uh, and ammunition to deal with anything, uh, and you can always change your, your style and change your way 
and and you don't be like uh, pushing your own way. I mean, you, you you cannot dictate yourself, and and that kind of a learning that 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 I've got. So yes, I think I've got to the 360 degree of the industry and understanding A to Z of the the work and how that that happens, dealing with many cultures, many people, and and that added to my experience and my knowledge and and being ready to take this kind of I mean role. What's, what's interesting about you, what you said is um, I think about a friend of mine, a story of a friend of mine who was in the military, and he said one of the things he liked about being in the military is that when you give an order, people just follow it. <laughs> like, and there's, there's, you don't have to worry about it. And it, what you, you t- saying the thing about different cultures in Greece and, and Yemen, it, it seems kind of like, you know, that's, that's really not true in the rest of the world. Like there's all different types of ways you need to engage with people and and one interesting thing about being an, an operator in the travel industry is that you don't even get the luxury just to master one no. you know one culture so i mean maybe give us some more background about some of these cultural experiences you had and you know, so you mentioned yemen and greece is two particularly sounded like maybe opposite cultures they are I, actually i think they are all nice people to deal with they all have different i think you need i mean for me when i started the meditation i was the initial two three months was more about learning uh, being just just watch and, and and look what's going on around you. See how people deal with each other, how they deal with with the foreigners. Uh, I used to get a different treatment being coming from an outside uh, to that culture, but but then I, I just went after what exactly they like. I mean, in terms of uh, various culture, uh, Greek, you know, I mean, in terms of how they come in, uh, it's, it's more closer to our culture, to the Arabic culture. They're more family oriented. They're more together as uh, and but at the same time they are too dictated I mean they, they just push uh, ideas unlike maybe in Yemen Yemen is more about putting uh, you need to be socializing you need to be really know the person so that you can break that sort of uh, the silo that that he comes with uh, once you go to Africa again it's a different world altogether uh, uh, in Africa unless you go a little bit uh, Pushing your own way, you will not be getting anything. Uh, so really, and and Egypt is again, it's, 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 it's like again, is a different world, and they all come with a lot of pluses and positives in, in the way you deal with these kind of I mean, cultures. Uh, you learn a lot, uh, and Switzerland, for example, it learned me how to organize yourself, the timing, the pun- how to be a punctual, and that's a little bit different than dealing being in Egypt and then grad- immediately going to. Uh, to a place like Switzerland, and there are two different uh, requirements, two different ways of dealing again. Uh, uh, so that's all learning will come in from as you step from one country to another, from one culture to another, and you cannot really apply one rule to all. Uh, you need to be changing yourself, and you let people to change to your style. And since I was dealing with um, many people in the station whom I used to deal with, whether authorities, whether my own team, uh, I really try to change myself and change my style based on that place requirement, uh, which is quite an interesting and it's, it's not easy, but uh, but again, that's part of the job we are all in, I think. No, I get it. I think one of my first learning experiences being CEO uh, when I was CEO of Mozio was I had a primarily Latin American team and I asked people why they weren't speaking up. And they, one of my employees said, well, in Latin America, you don't challenge El Jefe. So they said the boss. And I was like, oh, like coming from Silicon Valley where you're, everyone has this culture of like, speak up, raise your hands. And, you know, recognizing that, like, if you want that to 
if you want that to exist with, you know, we had 75 employees in 45 different countries around the world, you need to, sometimes you need to say five different times and you really need to show, not tell that like it, you truly do want to be open. Um, and I think that's, you know, that can be very difficult to figure out and, and understand which cultures have different, which protocols. And so you're not, you know, offending anyone. I, I think it's critical, I think, in anything you do is to maintain that respect, I think, to people because, and respect and, and try to uh, respond to their need, I think, uh, because you cannot come in with your own way and say, this is how, this is the style, this is how, how I am, and you need to adopt them to me. I think once you respect different people and respect different uh, ethnics and how they, they want it, uh, to be dealt with, I think that will ease up a lot of things. Um, be humble, be nice. Uh, Try to gather people under one umbrella, but again, adopting to their need, uh, once you learn that need is what, then I think uh, you'll get through, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to move a little bit towards like your your operational role. So you mentioned at one point that you know you, you took on cargo at one point in addition to what you were doing before. And um, you know what I find interesting about a lot of airlines is that from a passenger perspective, right, um, you know, okay, you transport me around the world, but um, you know, like you many airlines especially emirates have you know entire other business divisions that balance out and need to be managed in the same way and cargo obviously being the most obvious one but you know airlines are really like little conglomerates the most extreme examples i remember delta used to own an oil refinery and uh and like i know that there's all different ways of kind of you know managing all these different assets when it comes to um you know how you make use of different legs and more you know you we're in a position of power to kind of see multiple of those different parts of Emirates. Like, how did you think about managing and weighing those different interests? I think for us, uh, the core of any success that we need to do is just to focus on your core business uh, and do not deviate from from that. I think, and for us, the core remain. I think the passenger and the cargo business, uh, where I think most of the revenue. Uh, today comes uh, from these two places. I mean, like 85% of revenue of the, the company coming from the passenger, when 15% is coming from the cargo. And, and that's where I think if you want to be successful in any business that you do, once you deviate and once you, you open up uh, your, your, uh, your horizon, then I think you, you lose, you tend to lose that focus. And this is part of the strategy, I think, that we adopted in, uh, in Dubai and in, in our business today. This is our core. This is what we know about it. And let's focus on it. Uh, and, and I think that's where, I think that was the, the key success of driving the business forward. And, uh, and yes, I mean, we added more freighter to the business of the cargo because that's, again, because of the boom, because of the demand coming in. But we didn't say that let's, ha let's have maybe a cruise business. Uh, let's have maybe a different entities that, yes, within link of the aviation, but it could take away your time. And, and then uh, you, uh, and, and that's why Emirates, when it comes to working, we didn't go to any alliances because for us, alliance was kind of a deviation, kind of an, a hurdle and, 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 and moving our core strategy forward uh, and focusing our own network expansion uh, because then you'll be busy with 20 other airlines and they come with their own terminal condition. They slow you down, I mean, in terms of how you, 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 you drive the business. Uh, uh, so, and, and we got a lot of even requests coming from many airlines in the world to say, why don't Emirates take over our airline? Why don't Emirates come and management uh, sort of contract uh, with this airline? We think this is, this is not, even though we have the expertise, the knowledge to do it, 
but this is not us. Uh, we really need to be just focusing on what we do within the company because the time we spend and the time we consume within what we do and we do it right will benefit much higher than putting your, your time and effort and, and deviating uh, the focus of your team to multi things. Uh, and, and then you'll be losing the control over it. When crisis happens, uh, at least you need to manage one thing. You don't manage 20 other things collapsing in, at your face in, in, in one go. It's interesting. So I actually think that's a perfect segue into another question I wanted to ask about innovation. So, um, you know, I think what's interesting is that there's a lot of, um, I think like chief innovation officer is a very trendy title in every company at this point. And um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think there can be positive positives to siloing away innovation, but mostly often there are negatives in that if you have a chief of innovation that implies that their, their job is innovation. You don't have to innovate. No one else has to innovate. And I think that, um, you know, there's a balance, obviously, between focus and innovation. And you kind of started to touch on that a little bit, like, we're not starting a cruise company, right? Um, and that said, and you're not managing it, but you do have Emirates holidays, for example. And um, maybe can you like, what is your innovation philosophy then? When, when, when does someone propose a new business idea internally or something? You go, mm, not part of our core business versus, you know, saying like, how do you st still stoke those ideas that could be? I mean, for me, I always uh, believe that innovation should come in with individuals. It's not the role of one person doing the, the innovation. It's the role of all of us contributing and adding value to how we create and, and come in with different uh, ideas and concepts and, and adopt these concepts uh, way forward. Uh, but again, you need to build in that confidence in your team and, and build in the, and open up the boundary for them. Uh, do not restrict them in terms of their thinking because once you say, don't think this way, don't think that way, then I think we're just limiting uh, the thinking of the, uh, of the people. Uh, so for me, the innovation comes from how you manage your team uh, to start with. Uh, once you give that freedom of thinking, that you give a respect to, to any idea they come in, whether they're good or bad, uh, you need to observe these ideas and take them. For example, one of the things I did during the pandemic, uh, back in March when Dubai was closed and everything was shut down and, and things were not moving. So I say that for us, pandemic is something that maybe we need to live with for coming two years. There's a change that's coming in our, uh, in our environment, the change coming to our business. Uh, uh, but still, our mindset sitting in the old style. When, you, when I talk to my my staff, they say, "Well, we used to get this number of passengers. We used to get X. Uh, I'm closing the inventory because business in this month will come in." Um, and that, for me, was a concern. So I think I think what I did, I gathered um, more than 30, 40 people of my my top people, different uh, grades, uh, starting from. Uh, uh, the, the senior vice president to the VPs to the even the grade eights and nines and, and different sorts of mix. Uh, uh, and we called the program the Game Changer Plus. Uh, and, and they sat more than a month uh, exploring different initiatives and how we deal with the post pandemic. Uh, what could be the change coming in, in coming maybe 12 months to 18 months? Uh, that we need to change our whether to do our platform, our technology change. Or we break the style and way we connect the business. Where where the business is going? What kind of a change coming to the business? Maybe it's moving from the corporate business to more VFR business. The segment is changing. Uh, so these are and, and, and you will be amazed. I mean, in two months, uh, we've got more than 55 initiatives 
uh, that was uh, was coming from this team uh, within that one month, uh, uh, and and we took all this kind of I mean in, in a big paper, a big sort of booklet of each initiative. We tried to assign it to different people. Uh, we put the small budget budget behind them to to go through these changes, whether it required maybe some uh, information technology changes, maybe some maybe was requiring a change in the policy. Uh, and some maybe was uh, an easier one, I think, in terms of uh, you just go on and, and, and go after that market that we missed it. Uh, uh, so so uh, we're in that journey now. I mean, starting from last six months, we are adopting this initiative one by one. Uh, and it's coming from the team. It's not coming from me or from anyone. Uh, it's their initiative, and they believe in it, and they they all for it. And, and, and that's kind of you're creating really a motivation uh, and, and to your team. Uh, to go through these kind of changes, um, I, I mean, normally I think this is one one classic example in terms of once you give the freedom of your team, you empower them with thinking, uh, you'll get amazing results out of them. But but again, I think we have a lot of these uh, innovation coming even in the technology side from our side. I mean, from uh, whether that's happening in the FFP program, the Skyward uh, that we have, uh, where we try to be more. Uh, Going from an, an, a normal uh, program of uh, just bend your mind through through the flight to make it more lifestyle program, and with that change, we need a platform uh, to make earn and bear within the city of Dubai, for example. Uh, so, so we came in with a new platform to say how we can make uh, the the Skyward more a lifestyle car that you can go to the retail shops, go to the petrol station, go to different. Into places and you end point and you win point. Uh, so that was another platform that uh, that uh, we came in with. Uh, there is a revenue optimization uh, platform that we created in terms of how we can uh, use the data that we have today. We have billions of data uh, of the passenger of uh, of the flows and how uh, how different markets and different ONGs behave. Uh, so we use all these data within the system, the AI. To, to analyze them and put the right pricing behind them, uh, and, and, and that gave us the speed to the market to respond to different uh, demand that, that was created and we didn't see it in earlier. Uh, that's another example. Uh, in the planning, for example, we created a system that uh, gave us uh, a platform to analyze uh, various routes uh, and get in the, in the past, for example, to do any research. Or any route analysis used to take us maybe two, three weeks to put the number together and a lot of manual work was going behind it. So the team said, why don't we use these numbers to create a platform so that we let the system generate for us uh, and give us the direction in terms of the demand and the supply and, uh, and where, where the spike is coming and which market we need to go after. Uh, and, and we came in with, with that system and today, we're just uh, entering the data to that system to say how is this market, how the market trend and how the demand is coming from market X. And the system will give you that if HK will operate to this place, will give you X, for example, market share, uh, and, and the route would be uh, with using the 777, for example, and the route with five times a week, uh, the route will stand and make X profit. Uh, and, and, and that even shortens the period of the time, but rather than three weeks to analyze one route, it became one week, and, and we can send things much quicker uh, and responding uh, to the market dynamic to the agility. 
Today is not there. We know that the situation is different, but I'm referring to the pre-pandemic time. But definitely, this platform will remain with us, and we can use it as a way forward. Well, so it's just funny that I think it's a great another segue into something. So I was going to ask you what technology you're most kind of you know excited about personally, and you know Emirates wise. And ironically, I feel like the two categories I had in my head were like kind of like fix it technologies, like revenue optimization was one of them, right? Um, or like ambitious technology, like supersonic jets and flying cars or something like that. And like, you know, and so that's, that, that's, that's, that's the question, but I also feel like, you know, which were like, what are, what's the most exciting technology, but I also am curious, like if you're, you know, the supersonic jets and the the flying cars and stuff, if that's, if that falls into the innovation purview of Emirates at any point in the future, or is it just the kind of nitty gritty focus that you're talking about? Yeah, I think, to a certain extent, we need to be realistic in terms of what's happening. I know there is a speed in, uh, in many areas and, and industries. I think the car industry is moving quite fast. I think in, in adopting some of these uh, e-cars, I think that's happening and trending yeah, with Tesla, with so many, I think, with Porsche and many, many other sorts of uh, companies happening. But in our industry, I think uh, I would say the focus is sustainability. And, and how you can create an, uh, an or come in with a, with aircraft that give you the fuel efficiency that 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 could save you uh, time and save you sort of money, but at the same time it, uh, it it pollutes less the environment. I think because the environment plays a critical role. I think today and how we can make that sustainability reflect into a clean environment. I think that we need to drive our business. But again. Uh, and that would come in in different components of part, how we can make the aircraft even lighter in the future using maybe a different component of, um, of, of, uh, of part that can go to the engine or can go to the fuselage of the aircraft that make it even uh, lighter in the future. But again, uh, I, I know there is a lot of work is going on by uh, both manufacturers and even we have Boom and we have so many, I think, uh, companies whom are driving, um, whether it's supersonic back to the oil concord, I think, uh, the speed, or there is a work going on the, in terms of going for hybrid uh, technologies, uh, putting uh, the, the fuel with the, with the cruising uh, on, on uh, cruising through the, through the, uh, sorry, cruising through uh, each sort of cruising without requiring an engine to, to so these are kind of things happening and uh, I think work is going on. It's yet to be seen, I think, the results of these things and yet to get the confidence of people. Uh, and, and imagine you're flying an aircraft uh, with 500 passengers uh, with batteries. Uh, how that would affect on people's minds. So, so really, you need some time, I think. Uh, it's unlike, I think, a car sitting in, in the road with two passengers and driving. Uh, with with batteries, um, this is uh, more sophisticated, I think. But yes, I think if one day we come in this kind of a hybrid way for, uh, say, you use the takeoff with uh, with the fuel, and then you go to the battery mode uh, and and cruising, uh, it could be the way forward. Uh, but it would take some time, I think, to get into that sort of things. And we as Emirates, I think, we're quite open to these changes. Uh, for example, we were engaged, uh, my team and myself, with uh, with the, with the boom team on the supersonic, uh, for example, and there is a lot of work I think done and, um, in terms of, uh, but, but at the same time, running a commercial airline, uh, is not about only the technology. You, you need to make it commercially 
viable as well. Uh, means the, the, the number of seats that you can sell on any of these supersonic aircraft should be should be uh, justifiable to make money because you you burn a lot of fuel in these kind of uh, cruises and 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 so you need to get the balance right between uh, having uh, the technology and changes coming in terms of derivation, but at the same time you need to be meaningful that. You're, you're selling it to airlines whom they want to make money. They're not there for luxury or we're not a private jet uh, owner just to fly and spend money without any uh, return out of it. So, so that's kind of a message sometimes we give some of these manufacturers to be realistic in the thinking, but make sure that uh, you don't take away the balance between being a commercial uh, thinking in terms of the return that you need to bring in uh, at the same time Push some of these bonds uh, beyond the, uh, the thinking I think that's happening today. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned kind of managing long versus short term profit incentives there. So, it kind of reminded me of the fact that you, you, know, you guys are you know, wholly owned by the, the Dubai government, right? And I'm, I'm always interested in how flag carriers kind of, you know, that there's so much national pride attached to certain flag carriers. And, um, and I think, you know, part of this is like, I know there's been kind of a, um, definitely a, uh, you know, competition, let's say a healthy competition between Etihad Turkish Airways and, uh, and, and Emirates for kind of like, who's going to be the hub and, um, you know, kind of the, the hub of, uh, of, to Asia, to the, you know, and to the Middle East, et cetera. Um, you know, how do you like balance, you know, fiduciary, you know, like duty, um, to, you know, staying profitable to potentially national interests? Like there are very big national interests in having Dubai become the hub. It could very well be in the national interest to be a loss leader and just have people coming in for tourism. And, um, do you have full autonomy to stay profitable or uh, are there national interests at play in the decisions you guys make? I mean, I mean, this airline was established back in 85, and one thing I think good would happen, even though it's fully owned by the government of Dubai, uh, uh, by ICD, yeah, the investment uh, portfolio of uh, government of Dubai, we run this company completely on, uh, on a commercial basis. We have no any uh, sort of interference in terms of where we fly and how to fly. And this is purely managed uh, within the company in terms of any of these decision making, uh, whether whether where how many frequencies we operate, um, what how many aircraft we require, and run on a commercial basis means when I decide to fly to X destination, they should be profitable and they should make money. Uh, so we really need to, we always look at it from more a business case and ensure that these kind of I mean uh, uh, cases are are making money and 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 adding value to the company in terms of the feeder opportunities. So. So we don't fly to place Y or Z because our government wants. But this is not how we run our company. And, and that's where I think made us uh, stand good and being a profitable airline in the last uh, 32 years of this company's history. Because it's being run completely independent. Uh, we have a lot of these kind of, uh, the, the, the ethic of, uh, of, of a private company, the way we run it. Uh, there is a lot of discipline. Uh, accountability is happening within uh, within within the company. The performance management is happening very very closely and very clearly. I think in terms of uh, managing again uh, the individuals and how we we run them. So it's, it's not 
it's not like an, uh, the typical government thinking to say whether you work or you don't work, you, you are there to be paid. No, uh, there is a lot of these kind of, I think, culture that we build in within the company, which is a private culture. It, it's run completely independent, um, uh, even though it's, it's a government owned, but it's run purely on a, on a commercial, uh, commercial and a private uh, ground in terms of how, how we drive the business. Uh, and since then, government did not inject a single penny uh, to this company. I mean, it was run always uh, by its own revenue that we generate. We almost reached to $25 billion the pre-pandemic time. Uh, that's how the scale and the size of this uh, uh, company reached. Uh, and, and it was really driven by uh, the, the individuals and the management of this uh, company. And uh, we definitely have the... Sheikh Ahmed bin Zaid al Maktoum, he's the, the chairman of the company, overviewing the whole thing. Uh, but we had a lot of uh, independency and a lot of uh, flexibility uh, and autonomy to drive some of these decisions. Oh, excellent. I have one last question for you. Um, you know, we've been quarantined, a lot of us now, for about a year, and depending on what you know, market you're in here. Um, and you know we haven't been able to you know get together in person and obviously and travel and you know one of the big uh one of the big i think casualties of that are you know are us seeing each other even in the travel industry and i think there's a debate going on is like what's the value of business travel you know how many people like what is the future of business travel and i think that's particularly relevant um you know to you know our collaborators on this podcast world travel market and arabian travel market wtm and atm um, and the idea, you know, we're big believers at ground control that, you know, in-person interaction matters, you know, seeing people face-to-face matters for many of the reasons you touched on earlier in the podcast around how are you going to, you know, figure out how do you, you, you push cult, you know, uh, how do you push business forward in a culture like Greece versus Yemen? Um, and looking people in the eye is important. So, um, you don't have to sell me, but I, I think I would love to hear kind of, you know, your perspective on, um, you know, why, you know, the travel industry and business travel and organ, you know, and, and getting together is, is going to be valuable going forward. And we're not all just going to switch to virtual conferences like everyone's been running for the last year. Well, I think it goes back, I think, to the earlier point, I think, that you mentioned. Uh, you're dealing with multi cultures of, uh, of the world. Um, uh, you, you imagine dealing with Chinese and you're doing it through Zoom. And you want to make a contract over billions of money. I mean, you cannot do these things. You have to physically, I mean, you have to have monthly meetings and gain the trust of the people before you are entering to any, any, any of these kind of businesses. Um, I mean, this is all, I mean, business is about relationship. It's about uh, the contact that you build in, uh, between each other. Uh, it's not about just sitting in Zoom and talking to each other. Uh, you need that, that interaction is critical, is key, uh, to make things work. And I think, uh, what's happening in ATM this year, they could have done it through Zoom or this meeting, but it's, it's not working. I mean, you need to bring people out of their, uh, their zone and, and they need to travel. They need to sit together. They need to build that, that relationship and contact and for things to move. And yes, I mean, there would be a portion of people who can, can work through the, through the, uh, through the Zoom and maybe through the, uh, teams, but, but always the initial meetings uh, and the initial contact that, uh, and trust that you need to build then should be on one-to-one. Uh, later on, you can do a lot of these kind of follow-up through the Zoom, no issues. Uh, but initially, 
and, and, and I think it took a big portion of the travel uh, required to have that sort of interaction and engagement uh, happening, particularly on on many businesses. I think that uh, that you can talk about it, whether to do with uh, merchandising or to do with uh, oil and business. Uh, that we're seeing people are traveling in some of these kind of sectors, uh, and and again, it's it's, it's, it's uh, business is about human beings, it's not about uh, virtual and and, uh, and 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 technology. No? I agree. Um, yeah, one thing we talk about at Ground Control is. Um, we're trying to, while we have to right now, simulate, we kind of call it a digital golf game. You know, it's just like, you know, like you, you want to, like it's the camaraderie, it's getting to know people in person, it's the cocktail party after the, uh, the event. And I think that's, um, you know, we're kind of the, the meta, we're, we're the, you know, the industry that has to, you know, is it dedicated to bringing everyone else together for their own businesses, but we haven't been able to get together for our own business ourselves so trust is built in person and businesses are about relationships where the takeaways from that last one there but you know thank you for taking the time to speak with us today and um i really appreciate it thank you thank you and thanks uh, for uh, it's quite late i think for you so thank you and uh, thanks for taking <laughs> of course so this has been ground controls monthly podcast presented by wtm the world travel market atm arab travel market and mozio the travel industry's ground transportation infrastructure i'm david litwack the founder of ground control the online community of travel industry ceos founders and chairman uh, and hopefully offline community as well when we're allowed to uh, considering what we just said and on um, and if you'd like to become a member uh, go to groundcontrolhq.com and apply. And this podcast can be found um, on groundcontrolhq.com, but also on WTM and ATM's websites, and also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Um, thanks for joining us.